Engaging Leader Episode 201, Four Hacks for Bringing Joy to the Workplace, featuring former Twitter VP Bruce Daisley, brought to you by the team at Workforce Communication. Find out more at workforcecommunication.com. Leadership inspired trust, passion, and action. Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Well, we've got a treat for you today. Our guest is Bruce Daisley. He is so much fun. He just left Twitter in January of 2020. He was at Twitter since 2012, and he was the vice president across Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Before that, he ran YouTube UK at Google. And along the way, he picked up many hacks for bringing joy to the workplace. And he's going to be sharing four of those hacks with us today. The issue that we're talking about is that burnout and unhappiness at work are a reality for the vast majority of workers. Fortunately, however, leaders and employees themselves can make work better. That's a subject that Bruce has been studying for the last few years, and he began writing and podcasting about it a couple years ago, looking to scientific research as well as his own experience about ways to transform work from stressful and soul-sucking to fulfilling and fun. Bruce is the host of the hit podcast, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, all about making work better. It became a number one smash in the UK and also hit the business top 10 in the US on Apple Podcasts. And he's just published his first book, which, surprise, surprise, the title is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. (laughs) And the subtitle is 30 Hacks for Bringing Joy to Your Job. And today we're going to jump into four of those hacks about how you can improve how your team works together, leading to greater happiness and performance. Bruce Daisley, welcome to Engaging Leader. Hello there. Thank you for having me. Bruce, back in 2018, you were writing this book and launched the hit podcast Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. Tell us the story of how you came to take that step more than a year before you left Twitter as the VP of Europe. Yeah, so what happened was um, a long while. So, so I was very fortunate that I'd, I worked at Twitter in London. And, and when we first started, when I first got going, there was a handful of us. And we very quickly built to sort of a small uh, group of a few hundred people. And uh, we, it was sort of the, the job that I always wanted to do and the culture that I always wanted to work in. So, you know, I would, I'd been fortunate that um, amateurishly I'd built myself a working environment, which was very agreeable to me. And, and to my delight, the people who worked there used to be euphoric. We had the highest scores in, in uh, the world for Twitter for satisfaction and enjoyment. And people used to come to our office going, I love it. Wow, what an incredible culture. And so therefore, I made the fundamental mistake of believing that that was down to me. And I was this <laughs> exceptional leader who clearly was gifted when it came to, to creating something. And let me tell you, I learned very quickly the, uh, the errors of being proud of your achievements, of, of being too confident of what you're capable of. Because um, very, very quickly, about three years ago, it went spectacularly wrong. Uh, mm. People were leaving with no jobs to go to. We saw a whole heap of people, uh, you know, 20, 40% of the team left in one year, which, let me tell you, is terrifying in its own way. So it means that you've got a leaving party every week. And uh, at those leaving parties, you find yourself looking everyone in the eye, wondering, are they leaving next? It was 
It was um, very fearful. And I, I sat about there thinking, okay, now's the time for a bit of humility. I need to probably look into some of the evidence. You know, the, the question was in my head. It's a bit like when you're hosting a party. Can you get the party going again when everyone's left? <laughs> is, there a second, is there a second peak to a party? And I was thinking, right, okay, well, I want to know, can I get the party going again? And so I sat about thinking, right, I wonder if there's a book that would instruct me on this. And I went to big online book retailer, uh, reseller, and at retailer, and um, I looked and I couldn't see a book that was, I wanted like a cookbook of how to improve my workplace culture. And there was nothing instructional enough. So I started doing a podcast. And I recognize that that's a big, uh, weird leap from trying to buy a book to doing a podcast. But I started doing a podcast expressly with the intention of giving me the solution, ideally in sort of 10, 10 episodes, the solution for how to get my work going again. And what I discovered was that um, not only was there a lot of research of how we can make work better, but just very little of that research was ever reaching people in jobs. So I discovered some of the most incredible academics, people who were writing incredible work that, to, that could help us reanimate, you know, even the, the, the most lifeless workplace. But it was just not reaching anyone who had a full-time job. So that, the podcast was initially my means of discovering that. And then latterly, I turned it into a book of the same name. Now, tell us about the title. At first glance, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat struck me as depressing. What's, what's the significance of the title? Well, I, I must admit that I appropriated a song by Calvin Harris and Fatboy Slim. So their song, which is quite a playful uh, EDM song, their song is called Eat, Sleep, Rave, Repeat. And uh, any of your listeners who might be interested, it tells, it's, a, it's almost a spoken word dance track. And it tells the story of a like, maniacal dance floor occupying soul who stands on a dance floor saying eat sleep rave repeat eat sleep rave repeat and the song you get the edm vibe the song repeats that a lot so um so when i was putting my podcast together i called the podcast eat sleep work repeat yeah i hear you it's it's it sounds (laughs) there's an expression in france called boulot metro dodo which basically means work train sleep um uh-huh. yeah and it, and and bulo metro dodo is meant to represent like the futility the bleakness of modern existence and uh, eat sleep work repeat is a little bit the same it was a good idea for a podcast and it probably doesn't stand up to much scrutiny beyond that well but on the other hand the work part of it is the parallel with the raves which is basically party that's it, it basically that's the part of the life that could be the the fun fulfilling part you feel like you're a marketer at heart. This feels good. <laughs> good post-rationalization. I appreciate it. I'm going to invite you to my next meeting. Well, see, I was not, I was a, an English literature major and, and plus business minor in college. So I always was okay. taught to find the symbolism, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so I appreciate your positive input to this bleak situation that I've got myself into. <laughs> now, what makes your podcast and your book different from all the others out there that they're taught there's a lot that are talking about making work better but obviously when you looked a few years ago you didn't find anything that served the need that you had yeah more than anything else because i think um i think this is really strange relationship we've got with work for example that you know albeit that we spend most of us spend 40 hours a week at work at the very least 
in fact, there's, there's a lot of evidence that if your workplace expects you to remain connected to your device outside of work, then it occupies somewhere close to 70 hours of headspace per week. So, you know, work is this abiding part of, of our lives. But if you walk into a bookshop or if you walk into, if you open a newspaper, we never talk about it. Work's like this dirty little secret that we all give so much of our cognition to, so much of our uh, free thought. And yet when it comes to us discussing how work impacts us as humans, we very rarely d discuss the consequence of it. You know, these, um, I was chatting to a philosopher yesterday and he said, you know, he said, you'll, work, you'll walk into a bookshop and there'll be countless books about love. There'll be countless books about food, but nothing about work. And so it's, it's a strange thing where work almost, almost with the only exception of our partner, can have a big bearing on our happiness, on how we think we're doing in life and our self-esteem. It can impact our family life. It can Im impact, you know, it can impact how long we live. I mean, this is the most incredibly potent thing. And yet we often choose not to talk about it. So for me, <clears throat> I know personally that my happiest times in life have maybe coincidentally or maybe not coincidentally coincided with times where I was happy at work, where, you know, if I was in a team where I was laughing every day, the, the, the resonance, the ripples that cascaded from that seemed to cascade into my home life. They came, seemed to cascade into like a wonderfully unencumbered personal life at weekends. So, you know, for me, I don't think there's any shame in talking about work. And, uh, you know, the challenge for a lot of us is that a lot of young people, and, you know, for me, I really saw that this was a book not necessarily for bosses. This is a book for anyone. You know, maybe you're you're working at a, a bank of desks and you only wish if your team dynamic was just a little bit better, you would feel less lonely or less stressed or less overwhelmed. And so my feeling was I wanted to create a cookbook for those people of small interventions of how they could improve work by 5%, by another one that's three percent so these these small little interventions to try and make this thing that we never talk about our dirty little secret a little bit less leak yeah and i like you know you call it small interventions and the subtitle of the book 30 hacks for bringing work to your job they are simple everyday things that any any boss could do any employee could do you don't have to be a boss but um, they aren't that that hard to, to plug into um let, let's jump into some of them can you give us uh, what's the first hack that you'd like to talk about yeah more than anything here's the strange thing that while these um i've tried to put plenty of science and plenty of evidence in the book about why these things work when we get to the interventions they're remarkably simple you know the number one thing that anyone can do to feel less overwhelmed by their job is to turn email notifications off on their phone and it seems <laughs> It seems almost so pedestrian that it's, I'm, I, I should feel embarrassed in mentioning it. But the reason why, the, the, the researcher who did the research into that, he, he asked um, a big group of people to turn notifications off on their phone for a week. Couldn't get them to do it. We're too addictive. We're too, we're too far gone. So he said, OK, fair enough. Would you turn notifications off on your phone for a day? Two years later, half of the people who turned their their notifications off on their phone for a day, still had them turned off. Why? Because I guarantee you this, anytime you look at your phone, you will have another email. We know we've got another email. Yes. And so this insistent sort of tug at our sleeve saying, you've got another email, you've got another email. 
what it does is it it sort of occupies a space in our mind it preoccupies us it's 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 a bit like someone waiting for you at the front door it it starts sort of troubling us and and the very presence of that reminder stops us abandoning ourselves into free thinking it, it sort of clutters our thinking so look you know immensely trivial turn notifications off on your phone another one go for a walking meeting now the, the strange thing about walking meetings is that you know the, the average uh, american spends 16 hours a week in meetings so two working days in meetings <laughs> and yet so if you suggest to a colleague that you've got a, a meeting with if you suggest to them you should we go for a walk i suspect the first time you suggest it it will feel deeply uncomfortable. They might look at you like, who the heck are you? Where are we going to walk? Down the highway? You know, what, <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what, what's the plan? You know, we're sort of, we're walking in, in rain down the side of an expressway. This, this, isn't, this isn't very agreeable. So you've got to find the time and the place. Maybe you just walk around the outside of the building. Whatever you do, you walk a block. But what we find that when people go for walking meetings, it activates something called divergent thinking. So, you know, maybe you need to come up with an idea for a mail out. Maybe you need to come up with an idea for an event for, for people that you deal with. You're far more likely to access slightly more random, inventive, creative ideas if you go for a walking meeting. So that's interesting. So, you know, these things and these things in aggregate. Normally, when we say to people, have you had a good day at work? It comes down to one really simple thing. People say they've had a good day at work when they've made progress on something meaningful. So, but the whole of modern work generally works in opposition to that. You know, your friend, your partner, your drinking buddy might say to you, uh, what did you do at work today? And you go, oh man, all I did today was emails and meetings. And of course, you know, for many of us, that's the experience of modern work. But I think the more that we can say, okay, well actually it was really nice, me and, Sandra worked. We walked down to the local coffee store. We bought a coffee. We came back and we talked about next year's plan. Right. Immediately, what we're doing is we're creating these punctuations in what often can feel quite monotonous and repetitive. And they're just bringing a little bit of, dare I say, joy. They're bringing a little bit of joy back to our experience of doing our job. I wanted to, I think the walking meeting is a, is a great idea. I wanted to ask a couple things about the email notifications. Mm. So I, similarly, I many years ago turned mine off and left them off, um, would never go back. And I love what you said about the suggestion, but that the researcher had is in, encouraging people just to try it for a day I, because yeah. I've had so many conversations with people and they're distracted the whole time with their email notifications. And I finally say, have you ever thought about turning those off? And they, it just sounds so drastic and scary to them. But that just, can you take it off, turn it off for one day? Would you ever try that? And and you said yeah. half left it off. I, I wonder, what, you know, if you put yourself back to when you were at Twitter and you had a hundred, hundreds of people reporting to you, is that something that you would actually suggest to people reporting up through you? Like, hey, you know, would you make that suggestion as a leader? Yeah, I mean, you raised a really interesting question. So one of the challenges for me was that. Um, Having, I mean, the, the book actually is about fixing workplace culture and, and team culture. So, so these personal interventions at the start are merely to try and get us match fit to get sort of on the, the start line. Because one, one thing I've found is that when, when people feel personally burnt out, when people feel personally exhausted, asking them to connect with their team members more often feels like too much of an imposition. They feel, they feel personally spent. Right. Uh, I, I went in. One nonprofit asked me to come in and talk, 
and they said, you know, we've tried to fix our culture here. We invited people for a three-hour meeting, and no one wanted to come. <laughs> to the, you know, another meeting. We're going to have a three-hour meeting about fixing right. the culture here. Ah, kill me now. <laughs> <laughs> we're just done in. We're just like, not, no, just someone bringing more work for us. So, and so the, that was that was my take. But then you you raised the question. So once you've decided ha, uh, that you know how to fix work, how do you set about doing it? And here's what I discovered: there were certain things where I realised that when we have discussions on these things, they facilitate people feeling free to express their feelings. So you know, it may well be. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a culture at our place at one time of, of very dominant weekend emails. And so what happens with weekend emails is that they can often be quite performative. That, you know, maybe someone senior sends an email and it becomes it becomes like a who can respond quickest. And then once you've missed responding quickest, who can respond with most substance? And immediately what happens is that people who maybe had been focusing on doing exercise or working their way through uh, a crate of wine or whatever they were planning <laughs> to do at their weekend, suddenly they're transported back to their desk and they, they need to be back into work mode. And what we were observing, the, so the problem we were trying to solve is that we were witnessing people quitting with no job to go to, people saying, I feel spent, I feel done in. And the important thing was to say, we need to join that dot with that dot. Because, you know, us emailing all weekend is, whether you accept it or not, the reason why People are getting to the end of the year and quitting with no job to go to. And so unless we address this and, you know, normally what would happen is you'd say to someone, you'd say to a boss, hey, can we lay off the weekend emails? And they go, hey, no problem. You don't have to answer it. Answer it on Monday if you want. And so it's an uncomfortable situation. And we, what we first tried to do is try to ensure that everyone had permission to call out each other and sort of breaching the covenant that we'd forged amongst us. So the, the agreement that we forged amongst us was that we're going to work sustainably because it's very easy for any of us. College is a good example. Very easy for any of us to think I can work till 3 a.m. You know, I've, I can do an all-nighter if I need to. And so sometimes we bring that model to work that we think, okay, mm -hmm. well, I, I remember I once pulled an all-nighter and it, you know, I can work till midnight, no problem. And we delete the fact that when we're in college – or when we were sort of in military training, or we, we actually, you know, we had time where we recovered. We had time where, you know, we weren't operating at that peak. And we, we delete that from our memory. And <laughs> it has the consequence that when we delete it from our memory and we try and turn it into like this model of how we're working all the time, it is unsustainable. It's the reason why a lot of startups have this sort of churn and burn model of hiring. They bring people in. They, they, expend everything they've got people leave frazzled and you know it's churn and burn they'll bring in someone else and i think you know for any of us trying to build something that feels more positive more sustainable getting away from that is really critical so so our view was we needed to model a situation where anyone could say to a colleague hey we agreed no weekend emails let's talk on monday trying to create those norms of, sort of self-policing really the book is eat sleep work repeat 30 Hacks for Bringing Joy to Your Job. Bruce, tell us where people can find out more about you, stay on top of your work, and get a hold of your book. Yes, so uh, my website is eatsleepworkrepeat.com. And, you know, along the way there, you'll find 
conversations that I've had with some of the leading experts in the world on, on the subject of work, people like Seth Godin, uh, you know, Adam Grant, I've spoken to philosophers, I've spoken to, uh, to sports people. So, you know, I've tried to, to plunder um, as, as many great intellects as possible. And you'll find all of that on the website. And you're also on Twitter still, I think, and on LinkedIn. What's your, what are your handles right. there? Yeah, uh, Bruce Daisley on Twitter. And you, you know, I always welcome people connecting with me. Let's build our professional network together, guys, on LinkedIn. Let's, uh, let's add to our collective intellect there. Fantastic. Well, Bruce Daisley, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader. A pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. All right, Engagers, we talked about four hacks for bringing joy to the workplace. We talked about turning off your email notifications, choosing walking meetings as opposed to sitting meetings, laying off the weekend emails, and giving people permission to call out breaches of sort of our working contract regarding sustainable work. Of course, there are many more hacks in Bruce's book. I encourage you to get your hands on that. And we will put the links and information that Bruce shared on our show notes for this episode. So links to his website, his podcast, his uh, Twitter, and LinkedIn profiles. And you can find that uh, on our show notes on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 201 as in episode 201. This is a production of Workforce Communication. We're a team of consultants and creatives using the power of communication to help organizations enhance the well-being and performance of their people. My colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, fully engage employees, and achieve superior business results in several areas, including employer branding, talent management, wellness, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at workforcecommunication.com. Our thanks to Cecily Leahy, our producer, Jamie Barnes, Tom Hitchcock, and Jenny Kalinda from our social media team, JJ Leahy from our video and graphic design team, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Betsy Leahy, our sound and video editor. Until next time, remember, the people changing the world today aren't just leaders, they're engagers. Engagers.